Good morning. I hope you're doing well. Um, just want to let y'all know uh, from the top that we are uh, keeping in, you know, tabs on the news, keeping in touch with other churches and hoping and praying uh, that soon enough uh, things will start to open up again and we will be able to meet. We will definitely keep everyone up to date um, with with that and, and how we're going about it. Um, man, I can't wait for all of you guys to come to the church and see all of the uh, progress that we've done with the remodeling thing. We've redone the floors, we've built a new coffee bar, all that kind of still in process, but man, it looks so good and I can't wait for all you guys to see it. And then at my house, we got a baby due next week. So it is just, uh, all sorts of things are happening. So uh, I hope you're doing well. I know for us, it's, you know, it's like we're going through these kind of phases of emotional you know, roller coaster things with this whole pandemic, you know, it's like you went through this frustrated, uh, you know, impatient phase and then to this kind of resign. And hopefully, you know, you're in a phase of just finding a good rhythm and unhealthy habits and finding a new normal that's um, that's a good and healthy rhythm for you and your family. Uh, anyway, that's my prayer for you guys. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can open it to Matthew 25. Um, and we will read kind of the second half of that chapter. Um, and today we're just looking at a a parable of Jesus. Um, um, and it's a tough one. So let's, let's get started. I'll read it for us. It's Matthew 25, uh, verses 31 through 46. When the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And he, the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, As you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Let me pray for us. Lord, God, I just ask you to have mercy on our hearts, Jesus. Um, Lord, I, I pray that 
we would be inspired today to be about something larger than our own discomfort in life. Lord, make us like you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, come and minister to every heart that is hearing the sound of my voice right now, Jesus. Lord, be near to us, God. Help us to know and feel your presence and your goodness. Um, Lord, help us to open our eyes uh, to the beauty of creation, Lord, to the beauty of um, the cross, Lord, and your resurrection. Um, Father, I just, I just ask that you would just bless um, those who are listening to this right now. In Jesus' name, amen. So, okay, the first and obvious thing maybe that should be dealt with when you come to a scripture like this um, is the aversion that our culture has, right, that our modern day has to the idea of God judging humanity, right? We have to kind of just sit with this for a second. This, This is clearly a picture of final judgment at the end of time done by Jesus, and it is informed by how we have lived our life right? So in our day and age, most modern people feel, you know, not only entitled to everything, but maybe more than that, woven into the fabric of the modern mind is this, no one can sit in judgment over me. How dare you, right? (laughs) Who do you think you are to call me a goat or a sheep, right? Livestock is gross, right? If I'm an animal, I'm something cute, like a puppy or a kitten, right? (laughs) Which, Which, by the way, if Jesus had chosen dogs and cats as the metaphor, we everyone knows which one would have went where. But God, God judging humanity, right, and me more specifically, is just not palatable to our modern ears. But let me just let me just say real quick before we move on from this: when we refuse God judgment over humanity, we must then realize the position that we've taken. See, if if God himself cannot judge his creation, then we certainly don't have the right to judge. And that puts you in a place of inability to condemn even the great evils of the world, like Nazi racism and genocide and violence and murder. See, the Bible calls evil, evil. It doesn't say, oh, just look at the bright side or change your perspective. No, it says there is real evil in the world and it deserves righteous judgment. And if hatred or violence or lust and anger have taken over a person, then they are the kind of person who is not fit for God's kingdom, according to Galatians 5.21 and 1 Corinthians 6.9, right? Allowing evil into God's final rule and reign Okay, would be like putting a fox in a chicken coop and saying, okay, y'all be nice, right? It's impossible, right? Unless something fundamental is transformed in that fox by the spirit of God, right? And isn't that what it's getting at when God talks about the lion lying down with the lamb? Like when we say yes to his kind of transforming love, the impossible becomes possible, right? In our own character. But because God loves his creation, he will one day put a stop to suffering and sorrow. But to do that, y'all, there are some who must be excluded because of the nature of their commitments to their own selfishness, their own lust, their own anger, which inherently puts other people in danger. So that may seem harsh, but there's no other way any semblance of what we think of as when we think of heaven ever existing without that as a reality, right? And if you want to think 
more about this idea of judgment and how our self-choice has something to do with that, I would highly recommend the book, The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. It's amazing. But I just want to point out two things in particular about the judgment of God in this text. Notice um, the sheep or the righteous, right? Those who... um, who acted in compassion towards their fellow man, right? They inherit a kingdom that is prepared for them since the beginning, okay? So they inherit a kingdom that's prepared for them since the beginning. The goats or the cursed, right? Those who ignore the needs of others are forced away from God, but they are put in a place that was not prepared for them. But rather, they were put in a place that was prepared for the devil and his angels, which makes us wonder about God's eternal intentions for us, right? It seems since the beginning, his plan was that we would rule and reign with him in his kingdom forever, that his heart and his intentions for us has been set before the foundations of the world. And it was that we would be recipients of his kingdom. He created that for us. The wording here makes it seems that makes it seem that God never intended or desired that humans end up in hell. That place was not created for them. It was created for Satan and his angels and that we were created not for punishment, but for eternal life with God as recipients of a kingdom. It's what we were made for. It's why we feel so disjointed when we become separated from God, right? And the second thing that's interesting about this particular passage is that what we can be sure of is this. This is not simply God rigidly demanding self-motivated behavior that if you, you know, fail to produce it, you know, in and of yourself, you're condemned. Uh, Because a good rule is this, when we come to difficult passages of scripture like this, right? Never interpret any scripture that makes it repugnant or contradictory with any other scripture. And what scripture makes clear to us in other places that God intends to empower us, right? To provide for us, to walk in the way that leads to life, right? He doesn't simply demand that we meet a standard, but he himself promises to change our hearts to not only long for obedience, but also to strengthen us to perform that which he requires. An example of this is the unmerciful servant. The unmerciful servant, he's condemned not just because he was unmerciful, but because he failed to show or he failed to allow the overwhelming mercy of the king to inform all of his relationships. See, he overlooked the action of God first and foremost. That was his first sin. And that's why all of his other relationships suffered, I guess you could say. He ignored the fact that God had acted. The king had forgiven the king had bore the burdens, right? And in our situation has bore our burdens in his body on the tree, right? The cross for us is the great facts of the cosmos. And so much so that God will justly and rightly hold every heart accountable for failing to extend that mercy that he has extended to us, to others. See, God seems to think His mercy is so far reaching, so immense that all nations will one day be held accountable for how they responded to that fact, to that mercy. But the point is this, it's because of God's compassion towards us, right? Of that whole list we're given. Remember that whole, the whole, whole list of things of feeding people, of, of, uh, you know, uh, sharing your water, clothing people, If you just look at that list, God has clearly done all of those things for us in 
Jesus, right? He's giving us food. Jesus called himself the bread of life, right? His body. He's given us drink. He said, you believe in me, living water will flow from you, right? Or even this, uh, this is my blood. Drink this, all of you, right? He's clothed our nakedness with his righteousness, right? He has taken our infirmities, our sickness on himself, right? He has proclaimed freedom to those in prison. All those can be backed up with scripture. But the point is we are to be people who don't just partake of the benefits of Christ, but also partake in the mission of Christ as well, right? So that being said, the call of this parable is the call, I think, of all scripture, which is not a call to a list of to-dos, but rather to turn your eyes upon Jesus and behold and see, open your eyes to his glory, right? The light of that glory. Go live your life now, giving priority to the goodness of God, the action of God, that He, what he has done for you in all places, at all times, to all peoples, right? It's out of worship, it's out of delight, out of love for God that the people of God are to meet the needs and bear the burdens of those around them. Anything less is not Christianity. And we're gonna, we're gonna come back to that idea, right? That's out of worship that this is supposed to happen. But let's get back to the text for a moment. What's clear here is this. In this text, here is, and this is tough for us, especially gospel people, right? Love the gospel. In this text, here is punishment and reward based on behavior. So it, you, can't, you can't get around that, y'all. It, but the thing about it, though, if, if you take this scripture out of context of the whole Bible, right? Just ignore the rest of the New Testament. You could easily conclude, well, all I need to do to get to heaven is this external act, right? That these things, if I can just do these things, I've kind of beat the system and I'll, I'll get to heaven and I'll be, you know, whatever. And, and just, uh, just an aside question, just like maybe for a small group, if you go to, if you could like a Zillow small group this week and think about this, is it possible to do those things listed? Okay. So all those things, feeding, feeding the hungry, Right, sharing your food, clothing the naked, visit, heal, you know, work, visiting the bosom prison. Right? Is it possible to do all those things while maintaining a hard and calloused heart? Just a good question. I don't know, someone roll. I'm not going to answer. I'm just going to think it's a good question, right? But if, but what we know, right, from other places, um, Jesus is of Jesus' own teaching, is he isn't just after external religious actions or duties, right? Separated from the heart, right? In, in a lot of scripture, he cares almost. It seems like he cares almost more, elevates more than external action, the internal motivation of your heart. So examples of this are Matthew five twenty, right? Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the scribes, you'll never enter the kingdom. He's talking about an external righteousness, guys that do the things on the outside, but don't have the internal reality to back it up. Matthew 15, eight says this, you people, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, right? Over and over, Jesus is gonna talk about, you guys are doing things on the outside, but your heart is main, is, is distanced, is not full of compassion. It's not, you know, uh, working with the, the depth of the external action, right? And so, so what then is Jesus saying here and what can we take away from kind of such a startling t- uh, teaching uh, of Jesus? Well, number one, maybe this. Perhaps Jesus is painting a picture of the only possible reality in the heart that receives the love of God, that nor height, nor depth, or anything else in all creation can separate us from. Maybe Jesus is painting a picture of this is what happens 
This is the natural outflow when you say yes to the love of God. You look like this. Share your food with the hungry. You see someone naked and you clothe them. You see someone sick and you long to help in their healing. You see someone in prison and you long to visit them to be, perhaps this isn't, if you do these things, I'll let you in. But rather when your eyes see and your heart feels the weight of my love for you, right? When your mind perceives of my resurrection power over sin and death and suffering that I freely have given to you, the only possible outcome for such a heart is open-handed, living active, effective compassion, right? Like almost as if before we see the love of God, right? Our compassion towards others, our heart is just too small, right? Like the Grinch, right? Two sizes too small, right? And whenever we look at scriptures or think about us being compassionate and loving and invitational, generous towards others. I always like to think about those attributes as like, like we think of natural resources, right? We have this idea that there's only so much to go around and that's why we hoard it to ourselves. That's why we're not generous with compliments or, or hope or affections because we need all that good stuff for ourselves, right? And so before faith in Christ, it seems that we're, you know, we're just convinced that there's simply not enough emotional resources to go around to be the kind of person who's always sharing and loving and forgiving and compassionate. But I think what we're getting out of this is after the love of God enters, like the natural consequence are the actions described. Man, you share your food with the hungry, clothe the naked, lighten the load of those in suffering. In short, when we see what God has done for us, how he has done all these things, our heart expands, right? All of a sudden you find a heart within you that is affected by others suffering to the point that you are willing to enter into it with them to lighten their load, right? The transformation of the level of our compassion towards others. It is to be so great, right? It is to so mark the Christian that John, the apostle would later say this, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how can God's love abide in him? So so what we're seeing is that when God's love abides in us, the natural outflow is an open handedness with our resources, with our goods. That scripture says, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how can God's love abide in him? I'd argue Jesus is simply describing the natural outcome of a person who says yes to the love of God. Okay. The second thing is this, what we have to acknowledge here is in this text, Jesus is clearly saying there is a connection between your treatment of others and how you will be judged before God in the end. It's an unavoidable thing in this text, right? He is dealing with physical action here and now, which then connects with how we will be judged. Either we will, be, either we will inherit a kingdom prepared for us, right? Because of the things we have done or not. And this is hard for us, right? Especially you're trying to fit this in your gospel theology. You're like, I don't know how it fits, right? But what we can say is this, the spirituality that Jesus is condoning isn't one that only resides in the nether regions of the unseen world with no impact here and now, right? The point is he's pointing out what you actually physically do to respond 
to, you know, either including others or, or, or helping with their suffering. It matters and apparently matters eternally. Or you could say it this way. Faith in Christ is to have teeth, y'all. It's to have effect. Physical, worldly consequences are to flow out of our lives because of the love of God that's been poured in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. In this parable, the primary marker between those blessed by my Father, right, who inherit the kingdom and those who don't, is how they actually acted towards others, whether they welcomed strangers or shared their resources or not. So we can say with confidence, y'all, that saved by grace through faith does not mean our actions and the way we treat others has nothing to do with it. There are real things, real needs, real loneliness, real hunger, real suffering that you, if you call yourself a Christian, are called to not only address, but do something about. And I'd argue if this starts anywhere, right, starts in our own household. But this is what I found when it comes to meeting the needs of others in such a needy world. Okay, this is just how I've, 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 what's what I've seen, I guess, is, is we quickly come up with excuses as to why we can't do this or, or how it, you know, it doesn't matter if we do this or, or whatever, you know, hey, hey, share this food or help this person or whatever. And, and so one time I was, I was in Decatur and I was in a government housing kind of project, we were handing out groceries to the group of kids, right? I mean, kids, I don't know, we were all like in our early 20s or something. And so we went around and we, and we handed out uh, bags of groceries to all these people in this impoverished area. And, and, you know, hey, can we pray for you? It was great, man. It was awesome. I loved it. So afterward, I was all jacked up, right? I kind of circled up afterwards. And uh, this one kid who had gone with us, you know, I'm like all, you know, excited and stuff. And he's just like super annoyed and frustrated and angsty. And, and, you know, I was like, man, what's, you know, and and he he basically kind of said, dude, this is stupid. Like we're not, we're not helping anyone. There's a couple bags of groceries. Like this is not going to fix all their problems. This systematic injustice, right? This is like cultural prejudice going like bag of groceries isn't going to do any. And he had this like horrible, just, you know, for, for me, it was like, oh dude, you know, like, eesh, you are so angry that this is not this, you know, silver bullet to the world's issues. And, and that may be true, man, right? Maybe there is systematic. I don't doubt that. Maybe, and I think some people are certainly called to be the tip of the spear in that fight, right? Maybe you, maybe him, maybe God's calling him to do that, right? But what often happens is we use stuff like that as an excuse as to why we shouldn't or can't do anything. And, and that's just despair, y'all. Like Jesus didn't say, if you can't fix the whole world, then don't do anything. And he made it real simple. Share a cup of water in my name and you've done it unto me. And that's what I kind of had to, uh, I don't know, uh, affirm, uh, just kind of lay back in as he was kind of spitting, you know, this really negative, cynical stuff on me. I had to remember, man, the Lord said, I mean, if you share a cup of water in my name, you've done it unto me. And what I found sometimes with those cynical kind of dispositions that we can often have, you know, is so often y'all, we're just covering either a personal sense of hopelessness or just kind of hiding a lack 
of love and maybe a lack of willingness to engage with any real effort to lessen the load on someone else's back. In other words, sometimes our cynical attitude, um, which we often disguise as sophistication or how we say it, is in reality just despair and apathy. Because the thing with the thing with lessening the load of others is that the weight has to go somewhere right? That it doesn't just magically disappear. Bearing another's burdens means that we take some of that on ourselves. It means we feel the weight on our own legs and back. And, and sometimes it, when we are cynical or, or if we are hopeless and despairing, we just don't have the strength to do it. And so we make up reasons as to how, why we can't or shouldn't do that. And let and me be honest with you, man, that's not easy, right? And, and this is not work that those without hope are even going to try to do, not going to try to share their food, not going to try to reach out to the, uh, the lonely and invite strangers in. But, but my, my kind of caution to us is when we come to scripture like this is don't overcomplicate it, right? I mean, it's simple sharing food and drink that happens every day at the lunch table, right? Or at least when school's in, it happens. Hey, try this. You want some of this? Oh, you forgot your, you know, I mean, it's a very simple thing, but that doesn't always mean it's easy. I mean, it seems that what Jesus is talking about involves fighting against our own scarcity mindset and giving to others, not always out of abundance, but even sometimes out of our lack, right? I mean, Jesus includes looking after the sick and visiting those in prison. And we just need to think about prison for a second. Let's not jump to the conclusion that Jesus was talking about Christians in prison because of persecution, right? And wh- where does it say that? He says, he says, my brothers, but in scripture, that word, my brothers is used for all sorts of groups, right? People standing around, same word for blood brothers, same word for all of humanity sometimes, right? Normally people are in prison because they deserve to be in prison. So Jesus doesn't say you visited those falsely condemned, Right? So an important question to sit with is, is this, when we come to this, how does whether or not we think a person deserves their suffering affect our willingness to act with compassion towards them? Let me say that again. How does whether or not we think a person deserves their suffering affect our willingness to act with compassion towards them? Unfortunately, for for many people who call themselves Christians, we are only able in our hearts to have compassion on those who we deem deserving of compassion. But here, Jesus is making an incredible assertion about righteous people, about the righteous, right? They act in compassion, even towards those people who clearly deserve the suffering that's befallen them. You're in prison because you most of the time deserve to be in prison. And we have to, we have to pause here because right now, I mean, so many of us, right, holding friends and family in contempt because they deserve it. And Jesus would say, that's goat nonsense, right? Because, because Jesus, because he has had compassion on the undeserving, so too do my sheep act and think compassionately even towards those who don't deserve it, right? But maybe the most remarkable and maybe kind of mysterious claim of Jesus in this parable is this. When he invites his people to inherit the kingdom at the end of the age, he invites them in because he says, when I was hungry, you gave me food. When 
I was th- when I was sick, when I was a stranger, you when I was naked, you clothed me, and when I was in prison, you visited me. And both parties are understandably confused, right? I mean, the righteous, Jesus, you were in the slammer, right? When were, when were you naked, right? I mean, what? they're confused. Both parties are confused about this. And he says this, whenever you acted in compassion towards the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me, right? So in some mysterious way, Jesus claims that all acts of compassion done in his name are done unto him. And likewise, compassion withheld is actually compassion withheld from him, which is really confusing, right? Until maybe, I think what can help maybe in this conversation is if we return, think about what we said earlier, right? Which we said this, it's out of worship and delight and love for God that Christians are to meet the needs and bear the burdens of those around them. Anything else is, is less than Christianity, okay? So, so let's think about just this connection for a second. When Christ becomes central in our hearts and lives, all other actions then take on the quality of worship. They, all, they take on the quality of respond, responding to Jesus. So when, when Jesus becomes primary in our lives, we constantly live out of a response to his mercy. And how do we respond to his mercy? Well, by being merciful to others, right? We respond to his acceptance. When he looms larger in our hearts and lives, when his acceptance of us begins to just dominate the landscape of our hearts and lives, how do we then live? Well, we, we, we respond to his acceptance of us by then accepting other people and loving others and so on and so forth. So therefore it can be said that all our acts of compassion aren't done unto men because they are deserving, but rather they're done unto Christ because what we're responding to isn't simply the needs of others, but we're responding, we're living this way out of worship of the compassion and acceptance and the food and the drink that God has given us, right? And so then the opposite is true as well. When Christ is pushed to the side, to the to the back of our minds and we do not act in compassion towards others, right? When we're walking in apathy and hardness towards others, he's saying what you're really doing is walking in apathy and hardness of heart, not towards them, but towards God's commands. You see, it's, it's not that you've ignored your fellow man. It's that you've ignored the commands of God and his empowering love towards others in Jesus. That's what you've ignored. And that's why you treat others that way. Therefore, Jesus says, when we allow our lives to be inconvenienced for others because of what he's done for us, and we share our food and our clothes and invite strangers, care, all that whole list, right? That we're doing it unto him and that the opposite is true as well. And that's a startling and, and provoking claim that, that merits sitting with and, con- and rolling it around a bit in your mind and in your heart, right? So, so when you look at the history of, of Christianity in the history of the world, right? You realize that it's been Christians throughout the ages that have led the fight for human rights and dignity, 
It, it's true. Look, look, it was Christians who were on the front lines against the slave trade, against racism, who Christians, it was Christians on the edge of education and medical services to areas most in need. And if you just look at it and you just wonder what on earth could motivate Christians throughout history to be champions for the poor and the oppressed like they have been, right? And there's very simple answers, Jesus. I mean, the very next chapter begins Jesus's last days before he would suffer. And therefore, right, Jesus is not only showing the path of sacrificial love, but he's providing the motivation as well. We would, he would take the burden of our sin on his own shoulders. In the next chapters, this is what begins to unfold, right? He would allow the weight and the consequences of our rebellion to break his back so that we might be the kind of people who are willing to be broken for others, right? That's, that's the source. That's the reasons Christians throughout history have acted in the way they've acted. And it's the reason that Jesus is calling us to act in this way today in our day and age and the season that we live in. Jesus is calling us y'all to be about something bigger than our own discomfort, even in times of heightened discomfort, He's calling us, y'all, to open our eyes to the suffering of those around us and to be willing to lighten their burden. And what I, I just, you just want to submit to you on the authority of scriptures that when, if we will make someone else's suffering more important than our own, what begins to happen is joy begins to just flood in over the landscape because prior to that, we're gripping things to our chest tightly. And it's like trying to, you need to try to do that. It's like trying to grip sand in your hand. It just just leaks out the sides. But when we will make our hearts and lives about others' joy, all of a sudden our own joy just explodes. And if you don't believe me, go read Isaiah 58, right? This, I'm not going to read it to you. I'm going to give you homework, right? Normally we don't give homework from church, but normally we don't do church from home. So, so open your Bibles after this, read Isaiah 58 and just pay attention uh, to what it's getting at. And it's so great even reading that, even after a time of fasting, Lent coming to a close and now Easter, you know, on the other side of Easter, um, how Isaiah 58 is talking about the merit of religious action before the Lord. It's, it's a brilliant reading. So I, I, I hope you go and read it, but let me, let me pray for us. Um, and then, and then I'll, um, let you get, let you get on with your day. Jesus, I just ask Lord that you would, um, help us, um, primarily father in the area of our selfishness, Lord, Lord, our, Lord, seasons like this can tend to just bring out the worst sometimes, Lord. So father, I just, I just ask that you'd give us the grace, Lord, to repent, um, of being self-centered, Lord. Father, I pray that you would just lead us away, just graciously take our hand, Father, and lead us away from habits and patterns of thinking that are just centered around us, Lord. Father, and I pray that you would bring into our path, Lord, opportunities um, to serve other people, Lord, um, to, to clothe, to share out of uh, our abundance, even out of our lack, Lord, because we know that when we share with others, Lord, when we serve 
others, you say that we are sharing and serving you. And Father, because we believe that you are the most worthy and glorious and lovely thing in all of the earth, Father, we are willing um, to share and to give and to serve, knowing that in our hearts and minds, we want to share and give and serve to you, for you, because of you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Lord, I pray that um, you would clothe us with your righteousness, Lord. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit, Father, would give us strength to walk in this path of sacrificial love, Lord. Lord, and in the process of us um, looking to others and serving others, Lord, that you would restore unto us the joy of your salvation in Jesus' name. Come, Holy Spirit, Lord. Lord, come in greater degree um, in our hearts and minds, um, even in a season where we can't meet together physically, Lord. Lord, help us to loosen our grip of things um, so that you can come and lighten our own burden as we make it our goal to lighten the burden of others. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. Please know that I am praying for you guys, and I just ask you to pray for us as we uh, my family enters into a new season with a, a new baby from the coming week. Um, and and I, I hope and pray that um, you would um, set your heart and mind um, to, to be about serving and sharing and, and giving to other people, social distancing, you know, considered and all. Um, that you would make your, your, your goal this week um, just to be about um, blessing someone else, helping uh, bear the burden that someone else is carrying. Man, love you guys. Uh, miss y'all and uh, hope, hope we get to be together soon.